Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I want to set a quick, uh, set the table quickly for today's message. And uh, if you've not been able to keep uh, uh, up with Ephesians, uh, I encourage you to go back, listen to the last couple of weeks. But uh, what, what, what we've kind of come up to to this moment is that Paul is, by the will of God, uh, issuing grace and peace to the church at Ephesus. And the grace and the peace, these are, these are primary gifts from the Godhead. To be able to live in God's grace and to be able to experience his peace is, uh, is only available from God. And so apart from God, there is no grace and there is no peace. We've talked about that. And so some of the gifts that the Father gives us that bestows grace and peace upon us, and we've talked about these, so I'm just going to highlight them very quickly, is that God gave us purpose in that he chose us. He also gave us his holiness. Now, it's one thing to be holy positionally. It's another thing that the third gift that he gives us is blameless in that he doesn't even hold us accountable for what we have done now that we are experiencing his grace and his peace. And, and it's important to know that we get his holiness. He also holds us blameless. But in addition to that, he gives us his name. In other words, he has adopted us and no longer sees us as slaves or servants or children of wrath or sons of disobedience, but he sees us the way he sees his son, Jesus. In fact, that's the last gift that the Father gives us, according to Ephesians 1, is he actually gave us the beloved himself. He gave us Jesus. And in receiving Jesus, we also have the gifts of the Son. And so the Father gives us gifts, chiefly the Son. The Son gives us gifts, forgiveness, redemption. He lavished upon us the riches of his grace. He, he, and the, all of these things combined together gives us a secret that can't be arrived at any other means than by the gifting of Jesus, and that is that he decides and desires to bring all things into himself. He, he, he gives us his, his inheritance and the last gift that the Son gives us is the Spirit. And so the Father gives the Spirit, and now the Spirit gives it, or the Father gives the Son, and the Son gives us His Spirit. The Spirit also gives us gifts, which is a, a current, present work. And, and, and that word means to mark us for ownership. We belong to God, we have His stamp of ownership upon us. He also gives us a future work. He offers us a guarantee. It's a down payment. What we are experiencing now is a down payment that there is a full acceptance later. And so these are incredible gifts that we have. And I'm just rolled through those very quickly. If you want more details of them, you can go back and listen to uh, previous messages. But, but all of those things come together so that we can understand unity and bringing all things back into the kingdom of God. And that is the primary responsibility now that we have is we are an extenuation of the kingdom of God and 
the culmination of all of the gifts of God upon humanity. We wear that responsibility. We have the responsibility in this world to help all of creation who is groaning and with birth pains to be reunited back to the, to, to the Godhead. We have some of the responsibility of bringing all of those things back into unity under God's domain. So we can only do that through the empowerment of the Spirit, through the provision of the Son, and the purpose of the Father. Beautiful symmetry. So we have here uh, an, an additional layer that I've not really gotten a chance in a little while to, to talk about, but we have the essence of, of, of Paul's three tenses of salvation. So let me explain to you what I mean. This can be, I really need you to pay attention because this can get just a little bit tricky, and I want us to fully be able to understand this because I'm telling you, I'm convinced this will unlock a lot of the mysteries of the daily grind of Christian living. Now, we have to go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're only going to do that briefly. I'm going to read you one verse back there, verse 4, which the Israelites called this the Shema. This was the verse that every Jewish dad would wake up early in the morning. And this was the alarm clock to every Jewish home. And he would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your what heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, this is a very important verse. This was a reminder of the children of Israel's identity every day. And so let's fast forward a few thousand years and you get to what uh, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. This is in Matthew 22. It's also in Mark chapter 12. It's also in Luke chapter 10. Now, Mark and Luke added uh, a, a, a word, uh, but just, just for clarification. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, Mark and Luke add mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. So when you get to a generation later when Paul is trying to explain what it looks like to be in God's love and to be in love with him, Paul says this, and we're going to briefly touch on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, but here I'm going to go ahead and read it. For by grace you, what? Have been saved. It's very important to recognize that Paul is speaking in the past tense here. You have been saved through faith. He's referring here, how have we been saved? Through our faith, our faith in God. This He's talking about our spiritual life, the life that we have by faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, we're going to just stop there for a moment, but I want you to recognize this is the word justification. It's where we are saved in our spirit. So as God created us in our, in our mind, in our body, and in our spirit, we are to love God with everything that we are. It, we are it's impossible to love God spiritually with a dead spirit. And so God resurrects our spirit when we have faith in him by grace. 
And so our spirits are alive. And that's why he's saying, the moment that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you have been saved, just as if you had never committed sin. Back to where you were from the very beginning. Back to where when the Father sees you, he sees the Son. Beautiful. Now, the next verse that I want us to look at, and we're going to get to Ephesians 2 in just a minute, is Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified. Remember, that's our spiritual salvation. We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We will be saved. That's future, there's a future salvation coming. So because I have experienced this salvation already in my spirit, there is a physical salvation that is going to preserve me from the wrath of God. This is how I am saved one day. I don't know what I will be, Paul says, but when Jesus returns, I will be like him. And because of that radical physical transformation, that bodily resurrection, I will be able to spend eternity in the presence of the Father. Beautiful. But that salvation's coming. Look at me. This isn't saved yet. But it has a promise of being saved. One day when I am judged, I pass through the fire. Everything that is left, my physical body, I believe in a bodily resurrection, not just a spiritual one, that my body too will experience glorification. Now, here's the last one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice the process. There's a process here. Those who are in the process of being saved. This is present tense. I am being saved. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now, this, this is a, an ongoing process. This is the day by day, those who are being saved, right? This is the renewing of the mind. And so my spirit is saved. I am, thank God, justified before the judge. My body, if I persevere, Jesus says, uh, to the end, I will be saved. And while I am waiting on that salvation, every day I am being saved. And I am to every day learn to love the Lord my God with all of my soul, all of my spirit, all of my might, and with all of my mind, my heart, my emotion. This is where the battle is for most of us today, is how can I walk a, a with a concerted effort, intentional effort in being Christ-like every moment? This is not a work that God just performs upon you because you prayed a simple prayer. This is an ongoing process of sanctification. I am justified, but folks, don't be satisfied with your justification. There is, a, there is another day coming where we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live triumphantly for eternity. And while we wait, this whole thing right here, it's just, it just gets, gets us in all kinds of trouble. How a man thinks, so is he. So if I'm going to pay attention to my flesh that's trapped while waiting, then I'm going to, my mind's going to be filled with the flesh. But if I pay attention every day, if I, if I allow myself, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if I sacrifice, if I make my, my mind 
a sacrifice every day, renewing my mind, then I can live victoriously. If I focus on the Spirit, I'll live in the Spirit. In fact, I think that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I cannot love God in any way unless my spirit is resurrected. Until I am alive spiritually. A lot of people want to love God, but they don't want, they don't want to uh, uh, surrender to his authority. Listen, until you are right in the spirit, there is no love for God. It can't exist. There is no thinking right. There is no taking every thought captive unto Christ. There is no have mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That can't exist apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which now gives power in my flesh and also. You can deny yourself. You can and take up your cross and follow him daily. You can do that. And you can live triumphantly every day, not just waiting on heaven to come, but it's here when you are alive in your flesh and in your mind. Listen, here's what I want you to write down. You become what you worship. So if you can look at who you are becoming, it really is the litmus test for who you spend time in the presence of. So if you're becoming more and more satisfied with the things of this world, chances are. But if you're looking more and more like Jesus, that's how you know that you're spending time with him. So, all of that to be said, the flesh and the mind, these are two parts that we are even apart from God. We are those things because we're just created. The flesh and the mind chooses pleasure always, comfort always, and it always produces death. But our spirit always chooses the riches of God's glory, and that always produces life. So Paul begins by, in the book of Ephesians, Paul begins by focusing on who we are in our recurrent relationship with God. Who we are now. And I love that he starts in that place. He doesn't beat them up and tell them where they're falling short. Immediately, Paul says, look at all these gifts you've got. I mean, this is like Ephesians 1's like Christmas morning when you're five. It's like just gift after gift after gift after gift. And they all give life. But sometimes we forget where we came from. And, and, and remembering where we came from is foundational in remembering what we need to remember every day. That's where the battle is in every day is remembering. And I, I really hesitate. It's just word just keeps coming up. And I don't know of a better way to say it. But remembering the debt that we owe to Jesus Christ. It's a debt now, he absolves us from this debt. That's the beauty of it. But if you don't remember who you used to be, and you don't remember what you used to do, and you don't remember what you used to think, it's really, really difficult to take those things captive today. In fact, you may be, you may be living a life in the flesh and the mind, but you haven't even recognized it because you don't remember who you used to be. In fact, 
You, you know as well as I do, there are things that you can be convicted of that you just keep doing, keep fighting through, keep doing them, and eventually you don't even recognize them as, as wrong or sin anymore. So when we forget where we came from, we can forget where we're going, and we become prideful, even arrogant, and we lose the motivation for humility and for love and for forgiveness and for grace and for peace and most of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, sometimes we forget our former lives. We forget the Spirit altogether. And I'm telling you, when you forget the daily empowerment of the Spirit, you're going to forget Jesus. And when you forget Jesus, you're going to forget the Father. Then all you are left with are empty gifts. And you become so familiar with sacred things, but you're not sitting in the presence of the sacred. That's, that's what Paul was praying and telling them that he was praying for them. Remember, that's how we left last week, is that they, would, that they would be able to experience him, that they would be able to know him and experience him so that they may learn how to exalt them. Last week after church, we had lunch, and then some went out and prayed. Uh, some been praying throughout the week, and I'm not going to diminish that, but specifically last week, we got home and uh, changed our clothes, and then we went out and started looking at different roads around uh, near, near us, and, uh, and my family I'm talking about, and, and you know, I'm kind of OCD, so if you could just help me out, for those of you who are walking, if you, if I, if you could just go ahead and walk down a few steps and, so we can mark that road out too, uh, I need all those roads to be red, and when I see it's like there's one little road there that's not covered in, I'm like, oh, I got to go walk on that road and cover that in. Anyway, uh, I digress just a little bit. <clears throat> I'm getting better at it. I've got to renew my mind daily uh, to be able to do that. But I'm only, I'm only kidding uh, a little bit. And, but it was, so my, my point is, so, so Donette and I specifically, we got out and walked. Macy was riding her bike, and, and we were praying. We are trying to figure out how do we pray together and yet not get distracted. And so she prayed for houses on one side of the street, and I prayed for houses on the other side of the street. And we mapped it all out before we left. And then we, sometimes she'd go that way, and I'd go that way, and we'd meet back in the middle and all these sorts of things. And uh, but we didn't spend much time talking to each other until after the fact. And when we got, in fact, it was after community group, we were talking about it and, uh, to each other. And, uh, and I said, well, what did you think about the sermon this morning? We didn't really have time to talk about that at all. And uh, she said, well, here's what I got out of it, that they may know him, that they may experience his presence, and they may exalt him. She said, I thought that was so good. I said, that's, that's what I got out of it. That's the thing that has just been so heavy on me to pray as we're walking. And so I found myself, every house I was praying, Lord, that they may know you, that they may experience you, and they may be able to come to a place where they can exalt your worth. Every home. She said, that's exactly what I prayed over every home. Isn't that crazy? I thought it was was. interesting. I just thought, what would it be like if if we all prayed over everybody we pass, if we just started living in the habit of praying, Lord, I just pray that they would know you, they would exalt you, be able to sit in your presence. You know, we might be able to actually convey his presence into their life some. And as they watch our lives, they may be able to know him so that they can experience him. So in Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we came to the end of last week. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, very quickly Paul says, and he put all things under his feet. That's the unity of all things. And he gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
fullness of him who fills all in all. His body. You are his body. And that's, the, that's like the moment. That's where it's like, wow, I'm reading about all of these giftings and all the grace and all the peace and all the lavish riches of his glory, his mercy and his, his grace and all these just gift after gift after gift. We get to the very end. It's so that he could be preeminent among you. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Here we go. You ready? And you... All right, we've been talking about how good the Father is, how good the Son is, how good the Spirit is, and, and that you are the product of that. And you, his body, were dead in trespasses. Trespasses. Paraptoma. It's interesting. We sometimes think that Paul speaks redundantly, almost never. Trespass is a different word than sins. When Paul says trespasses, the word trespasses means to step beside or to side slip. A trespass is something that we do that after the fact we go, oh no. It's like a slip. Oh, I didn't want to go that direction, but I did. And sins, hey Martia, it means to miss the mark on purpose. It means to rebel, it's to know better, but not choose better. So you who were dead, he actually equates the things you meant to do and the things you didn't mean to do. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter. They're not graded. You're dead in both of them. So for those who may live a life where you're not committing murder, you're not committing adultery, you're not committing all these heinous criminal acts, but you give yourself a pass, just know this, a trespass is the same death as rebellion. Verse 2, in which you once walked, again, you were dead, once you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, you know, so, so you need to understand Satan is the ruler of this world and that the Lord casts him down. In Jesus said, John chapter 12, verse 31, he's going to continue to rule. Satan rules this world. The, the power or the authority or the, of the air refers to Satan's hosts of demons who exist in the spiritual world. The heavenly sphere, Paul has this in mind in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I think, where he warns us of the spiritual forces, forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So during this present age that we're in right now, he and his demons, they dominate, pressure, control every person who is unsaved. He is the personification of spiritual death, so he is the personification of rebellion against God and so is the system that he designs. And he goes on to prove that this is what he's talking about. He says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were the sons of disobedience. You were dead. You once walked according to that as well. Verse three, among whom, this is 
the sons of disobedience. We all once lived. Now listen, here it is. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. When we were under God's wrath, when we were sons of disobedience, when we once walked according to the prince of the power, the course of this world, we did so in our flesh. And our flesh is so tightly connected to our carnal nature, which is under the authority of Satan himself. And so, of course, everything that we feel, everything that we desire, every ambition that we have is directed directly from Satan. That's that's what Paul is saying here. Every passion, every ambition, every desire you have is against God. Now, you you may not think so. And you may not, you may even say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, Paul says otherwise. So when your flesh is passionate about something, it moves immediately into your mind. And that's what you start thinking about all the time. And eventually, you become pretty numb to those things you want. And right now, you only want them, but eventually, your mind will give you permission. And then you'll start justifying it. And you'll settle for your own justification instead of the justification that's in Jesus Christ the righteous. You see how that works? So apart from a resurrected spirit, this is who we are, according to the passions of Satan himself. Paul's painting a picture of who we were and how we once walked. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 says, But when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce evil results, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is encouraging the activity of demons, hatred, fighting, jealousy, anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints, criticisms, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. And there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, all sort of that thing. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. That is why God let them go and let them do all these evil things so that even their women turned against God's natural plan for them and indulged in sex sin with each other. And the men... Instead of having normal sex relationships with women, they burn with lust for each other. Men doing shameful things with other men and as a result, getting paid within their own souls the penalty they so richly deserved. So as when the God gave them up and would not even acknowledge him, God gave them up to doing everything their evil minds could think of. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin, of greed and hate, murder, envy, fighting, lying, bitterness, gossip. They were backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, braggarts, always thinking of new ways of sinning and continually being disobedient to their parents. That's who we are in our flesh and in our mind without a resurrected spirit. We do not have the capacity not to be that. So when our flesh is fueled by Satan, it controls our passions. And when our passions are fueled by the flesh, it empowers to carry out its ambitions and its desires, the lusts and the mind. And when we live in the flesh and we slip or rebel, it controls how we think and how we process. Verse 3. 
And we're by nature, that's our carnal nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Shoot down to verse 12 very quickly. Paul says here, Remember that you were at, the, at time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So what I want you to notice is the picture that Paul paints here of humanity isn't pleasing. Dead in sin, influenced by Satan, controlled by lust, under God's wrath, separated from Christ, without hope. That is where we find the world today, period. No matter how you spin it, how you want to redefine it, does not matter what the Bible says. If it is true and we believe that it is true, that is the perspective of God's view on the current condition of mankind apart from a resurrected spirit. And some people don't want to acknowledge that. They want to go along with the majority or with their friend groups. And what if, you, you know, if my people agree with it, I've even had people say, I know what the Bible says, but I know what I believe. I know how I feel. I know this and I know that and I know this and I know that. And we, if it doesn't take very long, we start surrounding our, our, our life with people who agree with us about everything. But Paul says this is who we are by default. Never understand the wrath that they're under or the leader that they follow. Never understand the separation that they are from, from Jesus. But Paul wants the church to remember who they used to be. Seems like an odd thing to remind people who aren't that anymore. You need to remember who you used to be. You know why you need to remember who you used to be? Because you ain't treating people so nice. You think you're better than everybody else. Huddle up in your little groups. Huddle up in your little doctrinal groups, your little Bible studies. It's weird how people who are the personification of God's love only spending time with people they agree with. They become entitled, become consumers, become self-focused, Church becomes a refuge instead of a hospital. We become ungracious. We become judgmental. We become angry towards sin. People are only doing what comes naturally to them. Listen to this. This is great. Verse 4 probably has the best two words in all of Scripture. What's the, I'm going to ask you to encourage me by saying, what are the first two words of chapter 2, verse 4? But, but God. But God. Isn't that wonderful? This is who you were. Oh, not but you were so wise, or you were so favored, or you were so fortunate, or you were so good, or you were so available, or... No, no, no. It really has nothing to do with you. This is who you were, and while you were this, but God. He was the actor. Two of the greatest words in the Scripture. 
This is my reality, but God. May the church never forget that it was but God, not but me. Being rich in mercy. Finally, mercy. You know, we've talked about grace and peace, but mercy was absent in the introduction. But God who is rich in mercy. You know what grace is? Grace is when God gives us things we don't deserve. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. When God gives us his presence, when God gives us forgiveness, when God gives us all of these gifts that he gave us, the epitome of that grace was the grace gifts of the Holy Spirit where God gave us the Holy Spirit. But now God is not only rich in peace and God is rich in grace, but God is rich in mercy. And mercy is when God withholds things from us that we've that we deserve because of what we've done. And so everything that we just talked about, being alienated from God, separated from God, being uh, you know, perverted in our mind, perverted in our actions, being you know, hateful, all of these things that we've just mentioned, it was God's mercy. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture you where God recognizes who you are. He called you. He chose you. He has elected you, predestined you, done the good works. Even before you created, God already knew what he wanted you to accomplish. But your flesh and your mind keeps getting in the way. And you keep going after your father, the devil. And while you were rejecting the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of his authority. Well, you know what he did? You know what he did? He stepped in the way, in the gap, and he withheld all of the penalties that you deserve. And he said to every consequence of sin, this far and no further. That's, that's in his mercy. In his mercy, he stood in the way. And as hard as the consequences are coming from being separated from God, Jesus withstood them all. Because of the great love with which he loved us. See, we deserve wrath. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve shame. We deserve guilt. We deserve the burden. We deserve the separation. We deserve the hopelessness. But when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, he stands in the gap and he moves all these things aside. In fact, it gets better. He didn't wait until we were free, until we were desperate, until we were holy enough, forgiven enough, blameless enough, redeemed enough to make us pardoned. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead, that word is necros. It's where we get our word necrotic from dead flesh. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Even the things that you did that you don't even recognize are sin, Jesus paid for that and gave you his mercy so that you could have his grace, so that you could have his peace. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, it is so much more powerful when you remember what you deserved. When you wake up remembering what you deserved, how much joy is available when you're able to walk in the payment of that every day. 
Far too many people forget what they deserve. They become entitled, rewriters, justifiers. And that's what Paul's writing about. It's important to know who we are. It's just as important to remember who we are now. We know who we were, but he wants us to know who we are. Verse 4, rich in mercy. Not because we're lovable or deserving. We're loved. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Mercy held things off. Grace put things on. We're free. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're one. That was the whole point. That's the mystery anyway, how we can become one, united with Jesus. Think about that. Because of God, we are loved. We're free. And we're one. And you don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve any of it. Verse 7. Second, two most important words. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why has God done this for us? Why are we beneficiaries of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? So that we could be qualified for even more. Now we are qualified for those who have had their spirits, their dead spirits resurrected, have become qualified to be able to convey and channel the grace and the peace and the mercy of God to those who are still under the burden, whose hearts are still far from God whose lives are still far from God. He has empowered us to be conduits of all of his gifts for us to give those away. And he has placed his character right inside of our spirits. So we're going to finish today with the most popular verses of this section. Verse 8. The word for also can be translated as because of this. So all of this exists. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace. So I could ask you, so then how are we saved? By grace. That's how we're saved, by grace. Everybody say, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. But what's the vehicle? What's the mechanism by which that travels in? How is that grace how is that grace imparted to us? You are saved by grace through faith. That's not God's faith. That's our faith. God is the initiator. God is the primary mover, the first mover. And when he extends out of heaven to us all the things that we've been talking about, when he extends that to us, that's in his grace so that he can give us mercy so that it can produce peace. When we respond to that offering through faith, where faith and grace come together, that is transformation. Don't you dare think for moments because you're worth it, 
because you're good enough or because you deserve it. Listen what he says. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. What were your works? What were your works? I will tell you. I want to remind you. Dead in sin. Influenced by Satan. Controlled by lust. Under God's wrath. Separated from Christ. Without hope. That was the best you could do. That's why your righteousness is filthy rags. You can pat yourself on the back, but that's who we were. You were not saved by good works or because you were good, but because he is good. Not because you're lovable, but because he is love. And you cannot stay saved by works. It's not about works at all. His works, yes. Your works, no. And once you belong to him, truly belong to him, You have a DNA change. It's not works. It's his work through you, which is the fruit of the Spirit through you, the gifts of his Spirit through you. Otherwise, so that no one can boast. Again, we're one. Verse 10, and I'm done. Four, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So then, walk in them. You don't perform them. You don't work them. But simply reveal them of the work that is being done in you. That's why we should walk in the good works, not do good works, not perform good works, not act in good works. Just walk in the good works that's always already being done in you. Allow his love to pass through you, his grace to pass through you, his son to pass through you, his spirit to pass through you, and to simply reveal the kindness of the riches of his grace to the world around us. That's a message for the church. It's a message to remember. It's a, it's a huddle up for us to go out to the people that we try to avoid, to people we don't agree with, to people that are living in ways that we would run away from. Don't forget who you were. Don't forget who you were. Oh, wasn't that bad? Trespasses or sins, doesn't matter. Death, separation from God, doesn't matter. There's no slip, there's no sliding scale on sin, and there's no sliding scale on righteousness. I'll ask you to stand with me if you would. Paul, at another point, would say that he is under an obligation to the Gentiles to give them the good news. How is he under an obligation? I'll tell you how. He remembered who he used to be. And he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So this morning, I just want to remind you with lots and lots and lots of grace, don't forget who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. 
And don't only dwell on who you used to be and walk paralyzed. Remember who you are, loved, free, one with Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places already. So I want to remind you of the riches of his grace, the riches of his mercy, so that you can live at peace. And when you are at peace, you're not threatened by the authorities of this world. You can walk and rise above that authority and walk without judgment and walk freely you have received, freely give. So this morning you may need to spend a moment with the Lord and there may be people here this morning that have never, never recognized Jesus Christ as your authority. And whether you think you're a good person or not, I need you to know if you're not walking under the authority of Jesus Christ, there's only two authorities. You don't have your own. You're either under the authority of Jesus or you're under the authority of Satan. Now, I don't care what you've justified or how you've classified your life. You're either walking obediently to Christ and taking those, those things captive or you're being lied to, maybe even by yourself. So today, I want to ask you to humbly repent before the Lord, to allow Him to do His redemptive work in you, In fact, I'm not asking you to, I'm begging you to. For two reasons. Number one, I don't want you walking under the authority of Satan. And number two, I want you to be able to exalt the lordship of Jesus Christ with your life. He's worthy of that. So this morning, I'd love for you to come and just spend a moment just asking the Lord to do a work in you. If you're a Christian and you just want to maybe repent, maybe want to just clear some things up with him, I want you to come and I want you to pray. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you just need, a, just need a, a blank slate. Whatever it is that you want to pray about or need to pray about this morning, I beg you to place yourself under his authority and allow him to stand in the gap for you and to lavish the riches of his mercy upon you. Just before we close, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads again please and I just want to ask a very simple question and I, I, don't, I, I don't want you embarrassed because I don't want to be embarrassed you know I ask this question because I, I'm, I'm, I'm for us as a church I'm for, for you I love you but, but maybe it's hard enough to come to the altar but would you be, would you be honest enough in a, in a secret room to just say I know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my, in my faith. I'm not experiencing the hope. I'm not experiencing the joy. I'm not experiencing the peace. I'm not experiencing many of the gifts. I know they're mine, but I'm not experiencing them. And I would just like to know that I'm not praying by myself. You don't have to walk alone. I can pray for you secretly, but I'd like to know who I'm praying for. And I want to partner with you in prayer. So would you just slip your hand up right back down? Nobody will know it but me. You slip your hand up. I see that hand, that hand. Anybody else, be honest enough just to know that you're being prayed for. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Come on, be honest. In a lot of ways, sometimes it's just being honest with yourself. I see that hand. this morning before we go if we've not had a chance to meet or you want to to take a chance to pray 
with me or anybody else, I just I beg you today, don't leave and not know who you are in Jesus Christ or, or who you can be in Jesus Christ if you aren't. Don't walk the way of the world anymore. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for all the riches that we have in your mercy and in your grace. And I pray your blessing upon your people. Lord, the world is trying its best to squelch our voice, trying its best to rewrite our narrative. But I pray that we would never forget who we are in Jesus Christ. And, and Satan may hurl his insults and he may castigate and he may blame and he may accuse all he wants. We know who we are by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray now that we would walk in the boldness of that. Thank you, Lord, for standing in the gap for us. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for giving us grace first. And may now we respond by extending your spirit to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.